Hey, okay, so uh, after the last episode, you had a question, and I think we should address it right here. Yeah, um, we keep using the word pop music, but I'm not at all sure what we mean by that. Right, and I think it's something that we got to nail down now because it's going to clarify what we're talking about when we say pop. So I went, when I started thinking about this, and I, I looked up the first issue of the journal called Popular Music. Makes sense. Yeah. It came out in 1981, and I was hoping that there'd like be an article at the front that just gives a good definition that we could steal, but um, it doesn't. Uh, they discussed, they had a really great discussion about pop music versus folk music, and it was clear that whatever pop music is, it isn't whatever classical music is, but that's about as far as I got before I got stumped again. And I guess we should also, before we come up with our own definition, consider that like in Spotify or in Apple Music or in, or in one of those services, there's this genre called pop. And when you use that term in those contexts, it means a very specific thing. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about here either. So I guess I think what we're interested in is in any music that a whole bunch of people somewhere really seem to like. And I guess we're most curious about what grabs people about a certain song, right? Yeah, I think if you like it, we like it. We're just interested in, in what seems to work for people and get them excited about music. So I guess that means that on this show, we could be talking about Miley Cyrus. Or we could talk about a really famous Beethoven piece. It doesn't really matter. Just as long as a lot of people like it. As long as it's literally popular. Okay, so then what's a song that everybody likes? Oh, easy. Single ladies. Everybody likes single ladies. Perfect. Let's do it. Hey, I'm Brian Barone. And I'm John Lago Marcino. You're listening to Tuner. The show about songs you really like. And why you really like them. Today's song is Beyonce's Single Ladies. Parentheses, put a ring on it. Are you supposed to say that part? So I think what we're going to find is that Single Ladies is almost more about what it doesn't do than what it does. Okay, let's start by talking about rhythm because this song is amazing and really instructive on that front. Absolutely. I think probably the thing that grabs listeners first and most strongly about Single Ladies is how funky it is, which is another one of those words like pop that's actually really hard to pin down. But for now, let's just say that a big part of funk has to do with creating a feeling of playing around in rhythmic space. Lots of surprise and creativity and implication. Think of really funky musicians as like really good musical chess players. They know how to move around the board in a way that you might not see coming until it's too late. Or like writers who are really good at twist endings. They work within the usual rules of storytelling to set up certain expectations, but then also do some really clever stuff that's unusual and delightful and surprising. But to show how this can happen in music, let's back up and talk about pulse, meter, and the big beat. So not all musics do this, and not all pieces do it all the time, but in the tradition that Single Ladies comes out of, musical time is organized around a regular and constant pulse, or a beat. Now, as long as the pulse is going along like this, we can all sink into it, but it's not organized in any way yet. It's brought us all together, but it doesn't tell us where to go. We can start to organize the pulse into groups, though, by doing this. Okay. So now I'm hearing every four beats gathered together in a group. 
And how about now? Okay, uh, groups of five. And now? Three. Right. So what you're noticing is that by making one pulse stronger than the others, by accenting it, you group the pulses together by creating a pattern. That strong beat gets called one, and then you can count the number of beats before the next one to figure out how many get grouped together. That grouping usually gets called a measure or a bar. And this whole thing about creating a repeating pattern of a certain number of beats gathered together by the power of an accent is what musicians call meter. Notice that once you get hooked into it, meter creates a feeling of relationship between beats and installs some expectations in your ear. You get this sense that you know the musical future. You can imagine and anticipate the next big one. But let's get concrete. Like almost every song on American radio, Single Ladies is in four. So that means every measure is made up of four beats gathered together by a certain pattern of accents. In theory, beat one is a strong beat, beat two a weak beat, beat three a strong-ish beat, and beat four another weak beat. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. We call beat one a downbeat because there's some sense of landing or arrival there. And beat four, we call it an upbeat because, well, it's the up that leads to the down of the next one. This is all good in theory, but in practice, a ton of the music we all probably listen to, especially American music since the mid-50s, purposefully defies this scheme. It puts the accents on beats two and four instead of the usual one and three. Usually this is the drummer's job, and she'll play the kick drum on one and three with nice cracks of the snare on two and four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. The scholar John Mowat points out that even though we're so used to it by now that this doesn't sound all that surprising, what you're hearing is actually what musicians call syncopation, the accenting of the quote-unquote wrong beats. Right, and this pattern is what people mean when they talk about the backbeat or the big beat. Here's another Beyoncé tune that uses a backbeat. And again, we're paying attention to the accents on beats two and four. Bring the beat in. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One thing I'll say is that to my ears, almost more important than the accent stuff is the way a backbeat groove sets up an alternation of low and high, or down and up, or kick, snare, kick, snare. And that brings us to the history of the backbeat. Yeah, there's a lot of debate over who invented the backbeat or who was the first to record it, but certainly it grew out of the practices of African-American musicians from the South in the first half of the 20th century. Probably gospel music and Dixieland had a lot to do with it. By the 1940s, the backbeat was definitely like a thing in music, and by the mid to late 50s, it was the thing that drove a new kind of music, and it was called rock and roll. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the evergreens, there's still the law. But Single Ladies doesn't have an explicit backbeat. That's what makes it funky. It plays in and around this pattern that we can all hear invisibly in our heads, but it isn't actually in the track. Check it out. Instead of two snare drum hits per measure, there's only one. And it's been nudged over so it doesn't land right on four, but instead half a beat later, on the and of four. One, two, three, four, and. Plus, the kick drum is doing its own more complicated and syncopated thing than the usual one and three. But here's the super brilliant part. Single Ladies hasn't abandoned the usual backbeat moves at all. It's just hidden them. Turns out something prominent does happen on almost every beat, too. It's just not the drummer's job. 
It's Beyonce's. There may not be a snare hit on beats two and four, but there are some really important punchy stressed lyrics in the melody where the snare would go in a backbeat. But that's not the only place they've secreted backbeat-esque elements. Remember that a backbeat creates this alternating down-up, high-low thing with accents on the up part. Now listen to the claps that chug along on every eighth note. The way the claps sit in the song, every other one of them stands out, so there is a subtle backbeat feeling going on the whole time, but at twice the speed of the official pulse of the song. So this groove repeats through basically the whole song, but that doesn't mean that the rhythm and meter of single ladies are easy to follow at all. Beyonce and her producers keep pulling moves that disorient your sense of where you are in the bar, which kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat. So here's what we mean. From the very beginning of the song, the first thing you hear is disorienting in a really delightful way. Now, there are a couple ways Beyonce could have begun this song that would totally ground you in the meter. For example, the song could have started really simply on beat one. One, two, three, four. Or another pretty standard way to go would have been to start on beat three, so we'd hear an even half measure before finding the downbeat. One, two. Or another clear way of starting could even have been to start a little bit before beat one, which we'd call a pickup. One, two, three, four. But in reality, single lady starts in a decidedly less common place, on beat two. It just jumps right in and waits for you to sort out what's going on a few measures down the line, whenever your brain catches up to where we are. The only recent tune that I can think of that has an even more disorienting opening is D'Angelo's Sugar Daddy, which I'm obsessed with, and which starts on the last 16th note of beat two. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. We should also mention that Single Ladies reprises all of these moves from the intro at the very end of the bridge. Yeah, but they do it after adding one more layer of rhythmic complication by sneakily erasing one beat. So you effectively get one measure buried in the middle of the song that has three beats instead of four, before the usual groove resumes with the trickery we've been looking at of the intro. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So cool. We've been talking about rhythm for a while, but what about some notes? Sure. One of the things that makes this song such a pop masterpiece is that it has three really, really catchy vocal hooks. All the single ladies. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. And what? Uh-oh. So the thing I like about the vocal hooks is that they're all dead simple, like nursery rhymes, but they're all set in this rhythmically complex, high-tech sounding environment that we've been describing. If you just heard this on your own, it'd sound pretty darn simple. And I'd even say that if someone sang that to you a cappella, this is how you'd feel the meter. Single ladies, all the 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 single
that's a lot less interesting than the real thing. Right. It's the groove and rhythm behind this melody that really makes it cook. I, I think the melody wants to sound like that. But in the actual song, the meter gets flipped around. The word single lands right on beat one. And that comes with this aggressive punch that's way more powerful than just the melody on its own. So like this. So my favorite moment in the song is when the if you like it chorus hook gets smashed up against a really surprising bass line. Which is surprising because the melody, Beyonce's part, is made up of notes from the E major scale, while the bass line takes its notes from the E minor scale. They've juxtaposed two scales, or modes, that don't usually go together, that aren't supposed to work at the same time. So here's the melody, which steps down a major scale from degrees 5 to 2 three times, and then all the way down from 5 to 1 the last time. But then the synth bass that comes in the second time we hear the chorus pulls us pitches from the minor scale, like you said. And there are two important differences between the major scale and the minor scale. Right. The third scale degree and the sixth scale degree, which are both a half step lower in minor than they are in major. So here in E, that means G natural and C natural instead of G sharp and C sharp. So guess what pitch the bass line uses really prominently? C natural, like this. That's C. And hey, John, what beat did that always fall on? Big surprise here, beat two. So we've got yet another element syncing up to the hidden backbeat. Listen to the effect of putting minor and major together. And here it is in the real thing. It feels epic, right? A little dangerous, maybe? Definitely sexy and devil may care. So it probably makes sense then that a chord that similarly blends major and minor, the minor major seventh chord, is the musical emblem of none other than James Bond. Which, of course, is the same kind of feeling Beyonce is going for here. Remember that she's playing her Sasha Fierce character in this song, who's all about Bondian badassery. But there's maybe another layer to it. When Beyonce invokes James Bond's signature sound, it might serve as a kind of musical nod to the way single ladies slyly critiques traditional ideas about gender and relationships. She takes over this minor major sound for her own purposes, to sing her own song. We might even hear this as Beyonce sticking it to an infamous chauvinist. It might seem like we're a long way from the hidden backbeat we were talking about earlier, but this isn't so different, really. I think what makes this song so successful is the back and forth we keep seeing between the foreground and the background, the obvious and the not-so-obvious. It rewards your listening on a bunch of levels at the same time. That's how you build a song that has staying power. Give it simple hooks that grab a listener's attention, but also throw a few curveballs to keep us engaged and coming back for more. Write some lyrics that might be about one particular relationship on the surface, but also have some much wider reverberations. Single Ladies has this quality in spades. So even if the two of us are still a little unsure what pop is, Beyonce definitely knows.
Thanks for listening. Tuner is Brian Barone and me, John Lagomarsino. This week's song, Single Ladies, Put a Ring on It, was performed by Beyonce Knowles. It was written by Christopher Tricky Stewart, Terrius the Dream Nash, Thaddeus Harrell, and Beyonce. And produced by Stuart Nash and Beyonce. It was mixed by Jason Joshua and mastered by Tom Coyne, and the song is on the album I Am Sasha Fierce. If you like the show, you can visit us at our website, tuner.show, and follow us on Twitter, at tunershow. And make sure to subscribe to the show, too, and tell your friends if you like it. You can search for Tuner in iTunes or any other podcast app, and if you like the show, we'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or review, because that goes a long way to help the show reach more people. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Music